So welcome to Impact on the Crown with Tia. I'm the CEO of a Tech for Good Company and passionate about making a difference. This podcast series will dig deeper into what it means to make real impact and real change in our society, whether you are individual, charity, social enterprise, company, crown maker, or government body. It's all about collaboration, and we are here to talk about how this works in practice. We focus on the dynamics between those who have resources to give and those who are working to tackle challenges in our society on the ground. Today, I have an honor to introduce my guest, Howard Jones, uh, who has a very interesting career uh, bringing together companies and charities. He's been developing all kinds of collaboration models between these two types of organizations. He has been the CEO of Born Free, a worldwide animal charity, and the director of development for Eden Project, a big educational charity in the UK. And he now operates as a head of sustainability and community in an investment company. He has experience in working with big international brands in, in his charity positions like uh, Cisco, PricewaterhouseCoopers, British Telecoms, and Accenture. Welcome, Howard. Would you like to tell something more about you? Thank you, Tia. That's very kind. Uh, I, I, well, I, I suppose what I would say is my career has been a bit eclectic. Uh, and it's appeared to run from certainly uh, from doing medicine years ago and then into the military and then uh, a key position at Eden Project, which is quite a large organization, and then taking on my own businesses uh, around the arena of social justice and equality and uh, ethical investment, and then ending up running a charity for wildlife and then coming here has been. A pathway you wouldn't necessarily design but yeah. uh, the point is that there's been an ethos and a set of beliefs at the center of that which has been about leaving the world a slightly better place as a result of some of my efforts than when I joined and that if we all did a bit of that then we might be in a better place already <laughs> and yeah. that's really that's really what I do um, I haven't necessarily planned anything. I've just tried to do the best I can and to learn from others. Uh, there's hardly any new ideas in the world. It's just the fact that some ideas need repurposing from time to time. And, uh, and primarily, my whole approach has been to build comparative advantage by working with others. And yeah. so um, I'm not a great believer in the old mantra of competition and competitive advantage and all the rest of it because I think a far more beneficial approach is comparative advantage from shared values, shared vision uh, and and the, the sharing of resources that uh, if I haven't got them then someone else has and, yeah. and we can we can build a partnership on that basis and I've been doing that between uh, social businesses, charities, public bodies, commercial businesses for, for years and it it seems to work um, and it adds value that's for sure uh, and I think you know, more specifically what is your philosophy on these partnerships what is this shared, shared uh, value and what is a mutually beneficial collaboration between yeah. those who have resource to give and those who then are doing the beneficiary work well it starts off I think with um, with leadership uh, being aware that that an organization can't do absolutely everything. Um, 
and it can buy in services in a relatively traditional way buy in knowledge and so on and so on but a huge amount of that is actually better built from the inside and and creating the conditions for an organization and the people within it to be as good as they can be but that is just a fundamental leadership uh challenge what takes organizations on a stage further is recognizing that where they've got gaps that that are harder to fill or, or gaps that are not enabling them to reach a next level, then almost certainly someone else has got the filler for that. And if, if leadership allows conversations to take place between organizations that can probably essentially do a deal on the exchange of values, then that's conversations well worth having because uh, it's my experience that you end up not just with the advantage you were seeking in the first place, mm. but a whole range of other advantages that you may not necessarily have even thought of, which can take the organization onto another level. So of course we all know that, you know, charities and, and these social value organizations, you know, they struggle many times with funding and, and skills and, and it's more clearer how they can benefit from uh, like commercial organizations. But what can then like a corporate benefit from, how, how can they benefit from working with these uh, social value organizations other than just getting the good feel or feeling good about themselves? Yeah. And that's, so, Completely. I mean, that's the fundamental point. And uh, it, it comes from work uh, a few years ago when, you know, doing good used to be called CSR. Mm -hmm. And uh, that could literally be, you know, a bunch of uh, team members in a, in a big investment bank or something spending a weekend painting a fence around a school or so on. And, and, and right from earlier on, I was questioning with the bosses of PwC or Cisco or whoever it was, what, what, why would you do that? Why would you have really high value people painting fences or the ceilings of yeah. village halls? Um, you know, because that's their one day of volunteering within a yeah. year. And, you know, really? Um, where, where's that creating value other than like being seen to do the right thing? Mm. Um, it's not actually adding it. Maybe it's an experience perhaps that an individual might take away, but probably is quite brief you know briefly remembered um isn't there a better way and then we've got into the world of esg and so on where maybe uh targets are being set and and there's some um there's some understanding of performance based against you know environmental social governance targets and and so on and so on some organizations much better at that than others um but where where do, what does that actually mean in terms of what it does for a business mm. that is seeking to not just be doing good but actually to be to be building its own audience its own market its own ideas and so on because that's the bit that often got lost and it, it, it my, my understanding of that developed really from quite a long time ago from uh being in the military and 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 in some very very tough environments uh, that you might imagine where you know, the, the military simply can't do all those things and so you need very often you need to work alongside very carefully but with charitable organizations or, or non-government organizations to be able to fill those gaps i was talking about uh, because you, you just 
cannot have all the competences to do you know, peacemaking, peacekeeping, rebuilding villages and all this. It's just, it's just not possible. So you have to rely on partnerships in a variety of different ways. Um, and so if you take, if you imagine like a military organization as a, the, the, like the biggest form of, of corporate, then and translate that to business where you know, profit needs to be made, shareholders need to be satisfied and so on. How do you get a situation where the chairman or the chief executive can satisfy stakeholders within a commercial business that doing the right thing or doing good to a particular community is actually adding or at least not taking away from the bottom line yeah. uh, so in in then when i was starting to well, was eden project you started to have conversations with uh, accenture for example um that was about a met need i needed to get across the line the work that I was doing on unusual ways of engaging very, very hard to reach youngsters um, in getting them back into education. And I wanted, uh, and I was running uh, schools, uh, uh, education programs in football clubs, uh, sponsored by Comet Relief and working with Cisco, who, were, who absolutely saw the value of that and were providing technical courses at football clubs for youngsters to come in and learn incidentally the thinking they're going to go to arsenal or uh, or some other club and have a good time but actually what they were doing was they were learning skills about themselves and so on and cisco saw that opportunity because they saw how they could introduce their technology into new audiences whether they be the clubs themselves or youngsters that then became cisco enthusiasts and became trained on their hardware and all the rest of it but interestingly, the conversation with Accenture, which followed, uh, was that they were doing CSR and, and they were delivering this stuff. And they were doing it pretty well compared to a lot of organizations. Very strong sense of where they were headed regarding sustainability, for example. Um, but I had my skills programs that I wanted to be taught in different ways and to reach people in unusual ways that, that were understandable or carried by technology and so on. And Accenture really liked the idea of that because they had a challenge for themselves. They knew that in their London headquarters and in other places around the world, they were missing a load of talent uh, that might be within half a mile, for example, yeah. Canary Wharf or, or wherever, uh, but would never engage with a tech company or a consultancy company because it just was considered a completely different world. Yeah. Um, and so they they took on the, the idea that the work that i was doing with reaching hard to reach people through unusual techniques and unusual places with very compelling educational programs and um i said well we can sponsor that uh and we'll brand it and we'll we'll sponsor and support you with some of our specialists and they did for a period of about two years it was i could never have afforded it I mean, really, yeah. I mean, the expense was far beyond the means of us at Eden Project. But for Accenture, they, as you can imagine, they ran the numbers and, yeah. and they, they could see that the benefit of them then getting that product themselves, and I was absolutely fine that that was their product because uh, I had benefited from that input, yeah. then they could then use that to, to reach the goals they wanted, which they would never have got they wouldn't have got the ideas that came from eden or from the programs we were doing and so on but they could see how they could translate that 
and build comparative advantage which enabled them to engage with uh, youngsters, people who then could become very talented employees. So, so it's about talent. Uh, they were kind of considering this as a talent acquisition investment and, yeah. uh, and also then scaling it to other markets, not just around Absolutely. London. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The, the, the watchwords were always, and I think this started with Cisco and their stuff, it had to be scalable and it had to be replicable. Yeah, because that's the way you really reach true value. And, uh, and as long as so from our perspective, you know, this, this rather unusual charity in Cornwall, uh, that was trying to change the world, we knew that we would never get our message across to a global audience unless we were working with global organizations. Yes, yeah. Uh, and so we were pretty smart in getting our message into very big players indeed, helping in some ways to move those organizational cultures along. Yeah. Uh, and certainly um, influencing very senior people within those organizations to perhaps think slightly differently. And for us, that was a really, really big win. Because yeah. that was leverage that we we could never dream of sitting in a you know, near a small town in Cornwall. Yeah. Well, um, when you have that kind of a, a very good concept uh, and proven impact as a charity, you know, and obviously it would be good to scale that so no, no, no other organization have to invent the wheel again. Uh, and, and the scaling probably should be uh, in, in target and some kind of a goal. Uh, but what, what are hindering charities sometimes to grow or formulate these partnerships with corporates in, or companies? Yeah, right. I think, I think there, there's quite a number, actually. I, I think that one of them is uh, the concentration that charities have to put on constantly fundraising. Yeah. Uh, and that's, that's a vicious circle in itself because you get trapped in constantly needing to raise funds and not being able to use your imagination to to essentially leverage funding in entirely different ways and and that's um when that's about recognizing you know labor the the, the proper use of time and and, and yeah. ideas and so on and, and having the bravery perhaps or, or just the means to reposition your effort um but then again that has to be supported uh, by the trustees uh, it has to be supported by uh senior people in the organization in fact everyone with the organization because then you get into the second area which is about resistance to that idea as a starter of the feeling that perhaps you're selling out yeah. to the commercial world um and that that's something that you really shouldn't even be tempted into uh because we're, we're doing this these are our values and they're all only there to make money and look at the damage they cause and so on um some of that is true Mm -hmm. uh, and certainly uh, the, the charities I've worked with, and, and you know, as recently as Born Free, um, we needed to have a very strong filter regarding the organizations we would work with. But, uh, and I, I say this advisedly because it's not always correct, yeah. uh, but uh, back, at, um, back at the Eden Project days when we were engaging with quite a lot of commercial businesses, some very big, like for example, uh, oil and gas, um, we needed quite tough internal debates about would we or would we not engage with Shell um, and in a small way we did because the work they were doing for example uh, in helping produce smokeless stoves uh, in Nepal and Pakistan and so on 
was changing lives. And, and so we thought that was a really good thing. Um, and so we felt that it's better to be on the inside to helping put things right than it is to be just chucking stones all the time. And, yeah. uh, and I, I know that that's, that's possibly an unwelcome way of putting it for, for some, but I'm just using a very black and white argument. I know there's absolutely a, a good case for ensuring that you know who you're working with. And I think that some charities, some leadership of charities, certainly some trustees, don't have the capacity uh, to, to, think, to think those things through or don't have the yeah. time, uh, maybe even the expertise or the experience to think yeah. those things through. And, uh, and I think if, if charities needed support and guidance on those matters, that's one big area where, where that could be really, really helpful. Because um, I'll just reiterate it, so many organisations are just spending so, so much time working so hard just to stay alive. Yeah. Uh, and others are very wary, too wary in many cases, of engaging with organisations who, who may well be very, very positive experiences for them. And my, my approach uh, and the approach of lots of organizations I've worked with has been, well, I've worked with De Beers, for example, and Anglo-American and, and Consolidated Gold for a period of time down in South Africa to see if we could do something about post-money regeneration and the devastation of not environment only, but also of communities who have been involved in diamond mining and then just get forgotten when it's all over. Um, how would we have got ourselves into that position of, of sitting with the board of De Beers and so on um, if we hadn't been prepared to engage? Would we just continue to throw rocks at yeah. consolidated gold from the outside or, or would we say, you know what, actually it's better be on the inside and engage in a properly professional way and seek to find better ways of doing things. That, that's the way the world's going to change, yeah. is working together and seeking those comparative advantages. So what do you think about the skills uh, within charities uh, and social enterprises? Obviously, they are not very same. Social enterprises are profit-making, although they circulate the, the profits into their operations, back into operations. But uh, do you, like charities need to be more business-minded in order to start building these uh, mutually beneficial collaborations? Well, that's a really interesting way to put it because uh, something else which um, I mean you're you're sort of hitting on all my own private little you know things that get me going and 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 one of them is you you tell me a charity that isn't a business mm. uh, and that's what I've said constantly to people that are, uh, running everything from a very small you know village charity to, to whatever so, which bit of what you're doing doesn't constitute being a business? You know, even your, your staff tea fund, that's a business. You know, there's money coming in, money going out. Uh, and so it's, it, it's I, I believe it's, maybe it's a perception thing, maybe it's just a personal belief thing. Um, but I, I think one of the biggest things, and some charities are very good at this, obviously, but there, there is a general sense that, charities are not in the business of business yeah and they absolutely are and i think that there are sets of trustees who need to wake up to that point or move on uh, and to give 
their senior team, their senior people, uh, the support to understand the charity as a business. It's yeah. a business that's, that is delivering on its objects and, and in a particular way, of course it is. But if you're not seeking to find ways of leveraging business advantage and comparative advantage and so on, then, then, then you're probably in the wrong job because you're not going to be delivering against what the charity is setting out to do, or at least you're not going to be delivering as well as you could because you haven't got the resources to do so. Yeah, so, and also the statistics show, of course, that uh, charities are, are businesses. Uh, the turnover of the charity industry in the UK is like 75, 80 billion a year. Yes, and over 20 billion of that is voluntary income, which comes from grants and donations. So we are talking about 60 billion uh, industry where, where services and products are sold to governments and of course it contains like hospitals and universities but lots of like other type of uh, social services whatever which governments are buying and and different parties are buying so it is definitely selling services and, and products and therefore real business it's just that the profit bit i guess is is a little bit different um it is there's another point in there too and that is that uh, it's an experience that struck me when i went to born free um there were, uh, it was doing okay, uh, and well, I I had a bit of a turnaround thing to do, but and, and to grow the organisation, to grow the income, and so on, which is standard stuff, a standard requirement really. Um, but the quality of the programmes the organisation was delivering, you know, let's say wildlife conservation, very good. Uh, but the individuals running those programmes, uh, you know, whether conservation, animal welfare, education, and so on did not envisage themselves as being part of the business um, or as being part of any effort to help to develop revenue. So they were, were essentially cost centers within the organization uh, who were delivering on you know, saving lions or whatever, but did at, at the beginning had absolutely no sense that they, they, they had a responsibility to add to their effort to the income, whether it, the, the quality of the stories they were they were telling, you know, based on the evidence of the work, the quality of the stories they're telling, and then getting that out to an audience, it was that was not understood that uh, these people were delivering very well, but there was someone else over there who was developing the revenue, who was doing the business, mm. and that I think certainly from what I see is, is relatively commonplace where you have people involved in delivery uh, within a charity uh, who are not involved in the business and, and I don't even see it that way. And I think in my point of view, it kind of comes um, um, down to now what the clue could be between those without just like forcing the idea I think it's a more increasing a demand for impact reporting, you know, measurement yep. and reporting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yep. then it automatically links the, the actual people doing the, the work on the field, you know, to the people who are fundraising because they need the information of the impact and, and stuff. Of course, the organization should evaluate their impact in general. Is their yeah. work worth even doing? Yeah. You know, they might be doing something else, put the money elsewhere, a different kind of project, they would be doing more good. So obviously the impact measurement uh, and evaluation is built mainly for that. 
but also then uh, responding to the funders uh, about what was actually achieved. And I, I think, you know, building that relationship within an organization in a charity or social enterprise between the beneficiary workers and then the fundraising kind of bit of it um, might be a good point of collaboration and automatically start developing this kind of collaboration internally. Totally agree. I used to call it is a virtual circle of good business mm. and or sorry, virtuous circle of good business where you have the delivery agent who's doing a good job is measuring and evaluating reporting in an interesting and useful way yep. which is then interpreted by the fundraisers and so on they raise the money and you can do more more delivery yeah yep. it's just a virtuous circle yep. and, and no everyone has to be hitched into the circle yeah and also the you know to be honest that you know even if you think it from the let's say company point of view they are dying to get the stories from the field, aren't they? Absolutely. They, they need it for the, their brand building. They need to engage with their own employees, stakeholders. They yeah. want stories. Uh, so they see these beneficiary working people kind of as heroes. They are just really, yeah. you know, when we talk with the uh, corporates and company employees, they are just, they are amazed. They're just saying, oh, we are just these people working in the office you know, without white colors, they don't think themselves as heroes, but all these people doing the environmental social work, you know, they consider them uh, like some kind of a really like a bigger persons. They would love to hear those stories, but of course then tangible results as well, uh, like outcomes and the longer term impact, what they help making. So um, yeah, the collaboration, you know, should be there. And I think, there are ways in digital world now who can also help uh, internally organizations to formulate like a more coherent teams with beneficiary, you know, kind of workers and the fundraising and management team uh, because they need to then collaborate and, yeah. uh, and also share the success. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Um, there, there's, a, there's a cultural thing of, you know, people understanding and, and learning that and that clearly there's a leadership function here as well um, to enable that to happen there's the structural side of it which you've just described but there's also uh, like a, um, an incentivization and one of the incentives I've used is to say so all those budget lines that you've got as, as delivery agents so you're delivering that you're doing that there's budget lines for all these things your your assumption then is just that on the start of the new financial year, that's just going to appear? Um, and the answer in many cases was yes. Uh, I said, okay, so what if it didn't appear? Oh, right, okay. Uh, and uh, so what if it didn't appear because you haven't actually contributed to raising that, yeah. that, fund, that money? What if your starting point every year was zero? Yeah. And that we, we can actually uh, monitor the power of your programs and the power of your evaluation and how it meets funding targets and so on or how it helps funding targets. what if we did that and i'll tell you what that that sharpens up resolve of people who might be quite entrenched in uh in just assuming the money's going to turn up yeah when they realize they're part of the engine that starts to change and i think this is then connected to innovation because, uh, you know, even if, you know, of course, the people on the ground doing the beneficiary work, really, 
you know, and with the help of, you know, the management and maybe outside sources like companies and stuff might really uh, collaborate and uh, help to make things maybe efficient, uh, innovate new ways of doing, harnessing tech, doing different processes and now, and so then improving the actual impact of their work. And, um, you know, like we see now examples during the COVID, you know, there are uh, companies who've been uh, donating a lot of like uh, digital device, software yeah. and stuff to organization. And suddenly the charity sector starts to digitize quite fast because it was a must. Yeah. Otherwise it was live or die, you know, yeah. or, or yeah. you serve your beneficiaries or then you don't, you just close the doors. So um, I think, you know, you know, there is room for in innovation with these collaborations and really kind of, uh, you know, not challenging whether your work is uh, valuable, but, you know, how could you even do it better and more, yes. more efficient? So what do yeah. you think uh, from your experience now uh, in this uh, learnings from COVID period, you know, what are the fields of innovation in the charity sector in, in general or is there some, some certain causes that could be now really benefiting and should be taking advantage of this situation and finding collaboration partners from companies? So I think that one thing that has affected us all is, is that we're, we're communicating an awful lot like this. Yes. Uh, and and that, that's a fundamental change. People are easier to get hold of. You know, it's reasonably easy to set up zoom call or whatever and get people together whereas in the past that was probably one of the last considerations yeah. uh, and so the, the ready ability to have conversations with supporters with uh people who are uh, elsewhere in the organization whether globally or whatever and also equally uh organizations like commercial organizations who want to work with you or, or where you can find a partnership that that has just suddenly got so much easier because there is a there's a cultural bridge that has now been crossed whereby this kind of meeting is entirely acceptable yeah uh, and and we don't have to wait three weeks to all get in the same place yes to have a meeting around a table uh, and so things can happen an awful lot more quickly and ideas can be shared more quickly and there's a way with this as well where you know charitable organization can share uh, its experiences, uh, the people who are beneficiaries of it, let's say it's a homeless charity or, or something like that, then it's the easiest thing in the world to get those people online. Yeah. And to, to have people who are service users within a homeless charity be part of the conversation and, and very easily part of the conversation because you can be on a screen. And you yeah. can tell your story yeah, you directly. You're on the street <laughs> with yeah, the screen. <laughs> no, totally. It, yeah. it's, there's an immediacy yeah. and an ease to this, yeah. which completely transforms accessibility uh, to across any organisation. It really doesn't matter who it is, uh, and it doesn't matter where that person is. Yeah. Um, that that's a that's a bridge that has been crossed, and that that makes things fundamentally more easy for charities for example to get their message across and to get the message across to people they would with, with people that would otherwise have been very hard to reach yeah and and, and that's changed uh, and i think also if you talk about other types of charitable organizations let's say charities working in the in the um in the environment and so on where the subject matter is entirely different equally 
whereas before it might have taken four or six months to have organized getting a film made or something uh, to show uh, I don't know, rainforest destruction or, yeah. or some kind of piece of work you're doing with a farming group or something. You, you just stick it on Zoom now yeah. uh, and you say, you know, let's do a mobile phone call with somebody or other and you, you could do it live, you could, but it's just completely different. The, the, the rules have changed and I think that's really important. Uh, oh, it's so, all about uh, like using these digital tools and, and, you know, just like being online, I would say. And uh, as a, um, like a, our organization as well, you know, we use a lot of um, uh, just like different kind of very low price software, whether it's video tools, whether it's communication do tools, project management tools, and they are so cheap to use nowadays that, yeah. uh, you know, it makes everything so uh, much yeah. more efficient, efficient. And also, even if you're not very tech savvy, you can just yeah. suddenly create quite nice videos, just like in a couple yeah, of hours, yeah. and you don't yeah. have to necessarily hire or high quality videographer or so on. Of course, they serve their purpose for certain instances, but in order to start formulating collaboration and pitching to others, you know, that kind of a, you know, not that yep. high level quality, but digital communication uh, yeah. and, and, and being available and being agile in the conversations, you know, yeah. I think, yeah, that might be a good, good point here that, you know, people don't have in the attention span then to uh, continue the discussions for months and months. People can solve now problems quite and, and collaboration opportunities yeah. quite quickly. Because like you said, that is, okay, let's do another call in two days time. Okay, we provide yeah. you this, let's do this. So I guess at least from the charity perspective, I think it uh, means a little bit of cultural change. Um, working with charities now four and a half years uh, full time, sometimes the pace that charities operate is not that agile that maybe corporates, uh, you know, uh, expect. Well, and that might hinder then the partnerships to formulate because there is kind of seems to be like almost like a lack of interest or passion. And even though it's not the case. No. What do you say about that? <laughs> well, that's very, you're absolutely right. I agree. I, I don't think the, the passion or the interest is lacking. I think it's no. the wherewithal, the understanding uh, and just that little catalyst to get going. And I think, again, these technologies can be very useful because uh, those experiences uh, and evidence of those experiences is so easily shared now by yeah. these means uh, and there's so much more that is acceptable now that wasn't acceptable nine months ago yeah. um, and you know it's in the past I remember did some work with um with, with a previous government and, and the minister saying yeah well you know I, I'm not actually going to read much but if you send me a two minute or you know 90 second film uh, you know which is well made or, then I'll watch that and I'll make a decision on that. You think, oh, right, okay. So, but that what he meant was um, something quite professionally done and all the rest of it. That was four years ago. Yeah. Those rules have changed. It's now, well, if you just get, get a quick call or yeah. do a quick video with a mobile phone, that's fine. Yeah. Uh, because expectations have fundamentally changed. And, and one of the, when you mentioned about project management software and so on, the easy availability of these things, you combine that with, uh, you know, sort of, you're mashing up technologies like, like Zoom and like video and, and mobile and so on. Then you get into quite a special place where within charitable, the, the charity sector, uh, that's when you're able to really share best practice so easily and, and evidence it because you've got your 
project management tools, you've got your capacity to communicate really readily on functions such as this. And so it, there is no barrier yeah. to, to your organization or other organizations saying, right, okay, let's get people together to, to explore how these guys went about this. Yeah. And, and how do they validate that? And, and what, what can we draw from this and, and share very readily? And so I think that that's transformed. Yeah. Well, uh, we could uh, have a conversation forever, <laughs> I think, but um, in order to keep the audience engaged, I think um, yes. we are stopping now, uh, now for, for this time. And uh, uh, why don't you share some uh, uh, like social media handle or something? If somebody has a question for you, Howard, uh, are you in yeah. LinkedIn or? I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. I, I, I deliberately avoid, uh, certainly at present, uh, Twitter and so on and so on. Uh, but uh, yeah, link, I'm on LinkedIn. And, yes, uh, and the, uh, your, uh, Howard Jones and um, what is your current position, the company name? So, so I'm, the, uh, I'm the head of sustainability and community at Bangara Group, which is a global organization dealing with funds management. Uh, uh, but also, I happen to be where I'm calling from now, I'm in Cornwall and I'm doing a, a, quite a large turnaround and reimagining job on a quite a large estate, which is part of that group. So this is a hotel uh large uh estate with with sporting facilities and so on which i am turning around to become a sustainable social business so i'm i'm the managing director of this business uh whilst also having my other role uh as uh head of sustainability community for that australian group wow that's very interesting position good luck for all that and um let's chat later maybe you take part in other conversations so thank you for everyone listening to uh, impact on the crown with tia i hope you learned something new or got some new ideas and if you are still unsure of something you have a question just go to whatimpact.com and send us a message and we'll get back to you and we are very happy to take also um, uh, suggestions of podcast topics and uh, who would you would like me to have a chat with have a nice day. Bye.